0: Good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Show on Community Radio 3CR. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We're a little show that uh, broadcasts weekly from 3CR and we're about cycling and related transport issues coming to you again from Melbourne, Australia, from the studios thereof of 3CR. And uh, on today's show got a big show coming up. I'm talking to Councillor Jonathan Shree from Brisbane City Council about an action that happened in uh, Brisbane last week. And we're unpacking the issues around why action occurred. And uh, it sounds remarkably familiar to those of us who've been, you know, (laughs) trying to work for better riding and walking conditions in our Australian cities, towns, roads. Streets of Our Town. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a kind of nice little uh, sink there that uh, occasionally I play the go-between streets of your town as intro to this show, and today is a predominantly Brisbane-focused show. So, yeah, to say that uh, we're coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, and it's quite cold in Melbourne at the moment... It's kind of one of those mornings where I thought I was going to be reaching for my gloves because it's just got that wind chill factor. It's coming from, you know, it's autumn into winter. Okay, without further ado, I'm going to start that interview with Jonathan Shree.
1: During the 3CR Radiothon for 2018, Spoken Word presents an evening of live poetry, featuring the outstanding talents of Jennifer Compton, Andy Jackson, Tariro Mavondo and Kylie Supski, plus an open mic recorded for broadcast on 3CR, Tuesday 15th of May from 7pm at Grub Food Van, 87 Moore Street, Fitzroy. And all proceeds go to 3CR Community Radio. Help keep independent, progressive voices on the air.
0: Today on Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR, I am speaking to Jonathan Shree from Brisbane City Council, who is a councillor on said council. <laughs> that didn't sound too convoluted. You're a uh, councillor for the Gabba ward up there, Jonathan.
1: That's right, I'm the Funny Greens councillor up in Brisbane on a city council that's fairly conservative and fairly car centric in terms of its values and priorities.
0: We spoke last year about some activities and, you know, sort of advocacy and the like that you're been doing in Brisbane. Uh, some of the things you've been up to with rides and events and the like. Now you just uh, said that uh, said council up there is quite conservative. Uh, can you just give us a little bit of background to something we're about to discuss about uh, an incident that happened to a young woman being hit by another vehicle driver? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so obviously the big problem in, in Brisbane is that the uh, transport network is still very car dominated. There's comparatively little investment in public transport and very, very little investment in walking and cycling and in particular the council has a very strong cultural bias against any kind of pedestrian or bike safety improvements that might slow down traffic flow. So where it doesn't cost them much money or doesn't slow down cars, they're happy to put in extra bike paths and pedestrian crossings and stuff. But as soon as there's a choice between vehicle transport and other modes of transport, the, the cars get prioritised. And that's been particularly evident in South Brisbane in the stretch of Vulture Street, um, which runs between West End and Gabba. And this has been a problem spot for cyclists for a long time, a lot of near misses, a lot of crashes, um, several hospitalisations, and residents put in a, a really big petition last year, hundreds of signatures calling for separated bike lanes on Vulture Street, and calling for lower speed limits. Um, The council rejected that fairly dismissively. We've had lots of letters to the Lord Mayor and I've had lots of meetings with the other councillors trying to win support for this idea, but they're just very, very resistant to spending the money. Um, And so they rejected that petition last year, they rejected that push, and then we've seen more accidents since then. And just recently, a 19-year-old woman was hit at the intersection of Vulture Street and Stanley Street while riding from West End to Woolloongabba. So it was exactly the sort of um, movement that we were raising concerns about. And the council said, no, it's not enough of a problem. We're not going to make any changes. And then we saw further accidents. Luckily, the woman wasn't seriously injured. She was thrown from her bike. She had a lot of soft tissue bruising and scratches and a, a bump to the head, luckily wearing a helmet, and, but was discharged from hospital. And she's missed a few days of work and a few days of uni, and she's pretty sore. But hopefully there won't be any long-term issues from that. It could have very easily gone another way. The speed of the impact and the way she was thrown out onto the road, she could very easily have gotten run over by another car or bumped her head a bit harder and had permanent serious head injuries. So yeah. I think it was just a powerful reminder for all of us of how, how vulnerable we are on the road and how urgent it is that we force the council to take more action on this issue.
0: This sounds like a, um, an outsider's perspective to you know, whatever... Brisbane City Council do, it sounds like a, a lack of duty of care to uh, road users as for, like, is this road under council control? Because I'm not fully or fait across what, uh, what what would be your equivalent of the Road Management Act up there in, in Queensland.
1: Yeah, so th- this part of the road network is completely under council control. They're all council roads. And Brisbane City Council, unlike a lot of the southern councils, Brisbane City Council is very, very big and has an annual budget of $3 billion a year. So this isn't really a problem of money. They have plenty of money, and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on road widening projects. So fundamentally, it's a problem of political priorities. And I've, I've said before that if we saw as many accidents as we do between cyclists and cars, if we saw as many accidents in a private workplace, the workplace would be shut down. There'd be all sorts of questions saying, why are so many accidents happening? Why is the administration not doing anything about it? In this case, we have a re- constant pattern of pedestrian and cyclist injuries in preventable, preventable collisions, and still the council's not acting. And I think that does demonstrate negligence and a mindful disregard of people's lives and people's safety.
0: Yeah, so I just uh, kind of thinking of something you just said. Like uh, I'm putting this perspective of uh, councils in Melbourne who you know have annual budgets of over a hundred, up to 120 million, and fifty comparing where how big they are with rates. You're talking about a big council worth three billion. Mm. And they're still saying that they can't pay for proper infrastructure for road users and or the participation rates through that area in Vulture Street.
1: Yeah, it's really troubling. And I think fundamentally the problem here is that we have we've had, you know, decades of car centric transport planning and a generation of elected representatives and community leaders who all drive for transport and struggle to imagine any other way of moving around the city. And so there's a really strong cultural bias in favor of cars and this kind of subconscious mentality that pedestrians and cyclists and even public transport users will only ever be a minority of people and that bikes and and walking will never be the way that the majority of people get around the city. So what we really need is a massive cultural shift that, that says, okay, we need to shift hundreds of thousands of people onto active transport, we need to deprioritize car flow and vehicle movements, and we need to prioritise pedestrians and bikes. But to get that sort of shift to happen, it really needs to be kind of one of the top issues in an election cycle. The scale of change we need is not just a few bike lanes here and there, but a complete transformation of the way people think about urban transport. And to achieve that yeah, it needs to be one of those sort of top three or four issues coming up to the next council election in 2020. And right now, it's, it's not, quite up, not quite there and it's not quite on the agenda enough. I could be right. <laughs>
0: I'm Mauro Durante from Canzoniere Grecanico Salentino. This is 3CR855 on your IM dial. Please subscribe. The community is important. The spirit of community is the most important thing. So, subscribe. aftermath of this young woman's incident I don't like using the term accident because this could have been something that should mm-hmm. have been prevented uh, has there been any you know follow-up from the police anyone found out who this person was and they've been reported who you know like it's a hit and run literally isn't it
1: yeah I should have mentioned that so when yeah. when the woman was hit the the driver uh, so the woman Shelly says that the first thing the driver said to her was oh, you scared me. as so though it was Shelly's oh. fault, for appearing out of nowhere. But um, actually, Shelly was completely following the road rules and right in where she was meant to. It was entirely the driver's fault. And apparently the driver helped Shelly onto the footpath and then drove off quite in quite a rush without leaving any contact details, without offering to take Shelly to the hospital. Or her, her bike was quite damaged and probably needed some expensive repairs. So those. Yeah, it, I, I think it would fit the definition of a hit and run. I hesitate to use that term because it evokes the idea of the driver yeah, literally yeah, yeah. hitting them and speeding off. I understand yeah. that,
0: but OK. Yeah. Uh,
1: there, there's, if you hit someone on bike, the there is clearly a moral duty to stop and help them, and if they bump their head, you should be taking them to the hospital. Even if they say they're fine, even if they're a bit dazed, and say, no, no, I'm all right, you really need to make sure you stay with them and see that they're OK. And yeah. in this case, the driver didn't do that.
0: I don't don't think Queensland's that different. I don't want to get into Queensland jokes, but (laughs) I thought there was a legal obligation to swap details in uh, any type of road uh, incident. I think that was Australia-wide. I I take that as a question on notice if anyone wants to correct me, but I thought there was some type of legal obligation there to uh, swap details.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the case as well, particularly where there have been injuries and the fact that that's still not standard practice for a lot of smaller accidents is a real problem. Uh, a couple months back, there was another high-profile story where someone hit a cyclist and then was trying trying to pay the cyclist not to report the incident to the police, <laughs> um, possibly because the driver wasn't properly licensed or perhaps they'd been using a phone at the time, who knows. But it's one of those things where the law is written and people's behaviour in practice are often two different things. And that's, you know, it's the same with the one-metre passing law. We have a one-metre passing law on paper, but... Most drivers don't abide by it.
0: Interesting. Now, going back to a previous interview I did with you last year, you've done some actions up there to do with you know, making a point and you know, getting people to see that cyclists are vulnerable and we need, you know, we need euphemistically uh, better infrastructure. Now, in the aftermath of this incident with Shelley, did the community and yourself, like, have a bit of a think and thought about what sort of action you want to take because, you know, this is, you're laying it out from, you know, the council have said no to doing things in this area
1: yeah so we didn't actually like the decision to hold die-ins is something that a lot of cycling activists have come to gradually over time and we actually resolved earlier this year at any whenever we see a, a serious accident that was a serious collision that was preventable due to council design that we will hold blockade and sort of controversial protests so we decided a couple of months ago, that's the strategy we need going forward, and we did that because, like I said, low people talk a little bit about cycling safety. It's not really a priority issue, and it's not high enough on the agenda that councils are willing to spend the big money on it. So, our probably most controversial action in the middle of last year was a die-in on the Victoria Bridge when the council was proposing to remove some bike lanes there. And what what's been quite interesting is since that action in the last few months. Even the Liberal Party has sort of backed away from the idea of removing bike lanes on that bridge. So they haven't explicitly said that they're not going to, but they're really sort of going back to the drawing board and rethinking their designs. And I think that's attributable in large part to that protest. We'd previously had our petitions and written our letters and were getting largely ignored, but that public protest of blocking the road and holding up traffic on a weekend has actually made a difference. The reason this most recent action was more controversial is because we actually did it in peak hour on a weekday and we blocked traffic for almost 10 minutes on a very busy inner city road and that's why it got so much media coverage but I think that's been a good thing because it's helped draw attention to the issue.
0: In all of 10 minutes and Western Civilisation comes to a shuddering halt. Yes. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Yeah, okay. I just want to just backtrack a little bit, but a bit of history about the Dians. I know that it's kind of like a Netherlands thing where they had horrific road toll over there in the 70s with kids. Can, can you just get a little bit of perspective on that?
1: Yeah, and I think this is a interesting strategic question because cycling advocates in in other cities and and countries would usually only hold a die-in where an actual death has occurred. And there's a genuine risk that if we hold die-in protests every single time there's an injury, they start to lose their impact and significance. So I'm very conscious of not overusing that as a tactic. But to come to that broader question, like People talk a lot about cities like Amsterdam and how great the cycling is there and how wonderful it is to have separated bike lanes. And we forget that in the 1970s, there was a serious wave of civil disobedience and major disruptive protests in order to pressure the councils and the government to prioritise bikes and pedestrians. That didn't happen by accident or just by benevolent politicians standing up against the, the motorist lobby. It was civil disobedience and thousands of residents blocking roads, taking to the streets and disrupting traffic. And there's some great, great video footage from back in the day that you can find online. The, the the name of the campaign was the Kindermord, which I think um, translates to child murderers. So they disrupt, described cars as child murderers. And it was a very evocative image and a very polarising campaign at the time. But it, it significantly shifted political will to the point where now... Amsterdam is widely renowned as a a heaven for pedestrians and cyclists. So I think it's an important reminder that it's not enough to just negotiate and ask nicely and that gradually the motorist lobby will give way. We have to remember how much, how entrenched car-centric culture is in Australia and that it is only going to be with a little bit of a pointy end push that we get those significant changes we need. So if anyone's interested, I've got a a long write-up on my website you can find, find it on jonathans 3com where I talk about the broader strategy of these kinds of controversial protests because they do polarise people and they do attract a bit of negative coverage and commentary. But on balance, I think they're, they're valuable because they help for that broader conversation that really needs to happen.
0: Yeah, because there's two points from that I'd just like to bring up is, one, in the aftermath of uh, the action that you took, no-one is talking about the young woman's incident. They're all talking Mm. about all the shuddering halt of Western civilisation due to traffic being halted for 10 minutes. Yeah. And and the other bit I'd like to bring up is nothing is created by gradual reform when you're dealing with um, antagonistic sort of stuff. Uh, You know, like I've been bumping around different types of advocacy and environmental stuff and transport stuff for 30 years. Mm. And I really haven't seen anything... uh, you know, really do breakthroughs when you just ask nicely and turn up to every meeting and, but you know, go through the bureaucratic things of it. Uh, I've never seen anything really work unless it had some point where people went, no, I am going in full opposition.
1: And, and what's important to emphasise there is that it's, it's part of a diversified strategy. Yes. So you don't just hold the blockades and the controversial protests. You also need to be holding the policy forums where you explain the issues and having public meetings and still meeting with the politicians and meeting with lobbyists and and doing all that other background work, doing all the diplomatic stuff like keeping a seat at the table and raising ideas respectfully. But alongside that, having the more disruptive protests adds a bit of fire to the campaign and I think provides the extra push that's often necessary because otherwise what tends to happen is that politicians just do the bare minimum um, and... And so, yeah, that's, I think, really important to emphasise is that blockades alone will not win change. You need to do a whole range of things from just talking to ordinary people to generating positive vision and policy ideas. And then the protests back it up and help draw attention to the issue.
0: Seriously funny Rod Quantock will be at Steps Gallery in Carlton to open a fundraising art show at 3pm on Saturday May 19th. Works by Arthur Boyd, Lunig, First Dog on the Moon and many many more will be on sale. There'll be political cartoons from the present and posters from the past, as well as artworks of beauty, joy and wit. All proceeds will support ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, and winner of last year's Nobel Peace Prize and ICANN's parent organisation MAPWA health professionals promoting peace. All welcome. ICANN and MAPWA are three CR supporters. And also, like, you're fighting against news cycles which has new thing every five minutes. And news cycle now, like it's just like a blender trying to get your message out there. Now, on the day, you had a surprising and broad spread of media that you got into. I was kind of observing it down here from Melbourne perspective, and there's a lot of people on side of like, OK, may not agree with this action, but they've got to do this if people are not listening.
1: Yeah, and I think it comes back to telling that broader story about the crisis of democratic government and reminding people that governments don't listen, because that's, the, you know, you'd If they were listening to us and if they were engaging with us with an open mind, we wouldn't have to protest, but it's only because our democratic systems have broken down completely Mm. and ordinary people are being ignored and experts are being ignored and good ideas are being dismissed. That's what forces us into this position. And so I think that's a really important message to tie it back to, is that we don't want to protest. We don't do this just for the fun of it. We do this because we've exhausted all other options.
0: Yeah, that is a very good point to make because I think... Again, you get uh, someone who's just heard of it, Yeah, you know, they see it on the news on a Friday morning without context, and they get the, mm. the, the, yeah, you get a bit of blowback. But again, I think that's part of our news cycle where people don't really absorb any nuance anymore and take in perspective of this is this action has mm. come about from some very long, drawn out kind of events yeah, and, and, it's, and, it's and situations. Part of
1: the yeah, 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 one campaign. Yeah. Part of, and, but I think what's also good to remember is that it's not, it's not the immediate media coverage on the morning news that's important. It's the conversations that happen at the dinner table or in the work lunchroom afterwards. It's those, you know, the, the media coverage is inevitably a bit negative and plays up the controversial aspect of it because that's what they, they want to do to get their ratings. But later on, people who've watched that story will talk about it with their friends and neighbours and that's, that's when the important conversations are happening and that's how we intervene in public debate and shift values, so I, I don't get too worried about the negative mainstream media coverage uh-huh. or the negative comment, comments in the Courier-Mail because I know that behind the scenes and in private places people are actually having really good conversations about transport planning as a result of these kinds of protests.
0: Yeah, it's a good breakthrough moment and you know, like the Courier-Mail mm. is going to act like what the Courier-Mail has done <laughs> since forever and a day. That's
1: uh, it. It's
0: that cliché, if it bleeds, it leads. So the actual action, who was involved beside yourself as counsellor for the Gab award?
1: Yeah, um, so it was yeah. it was mostly local residents, lots of people who live in the nearby area, a lot of a lot of women actually and a lot of younger people. Very few of the Lycra road cyclists showed up and I think that speaks to an interesting distinction where maybe there's almost a class divide emerging between the cyclists who have to ride for work and often have to choose the most dangerous roads, particularly like delivery drivers who, you know, the delivery guys who carry food around in their backpacks. Like those people just have to drive these dangerous, busy central roads, whereas maybe other kinds of cyclists sort of have the luxury of taking the long route along the river or whatever. Yeah, we were supported by Space for Cycling Brisbane, who are a local cycling advocacy group and they've been the ones organising the petitions and the bicycle film nights and all, other, all sorts of other kinds of advocacy, but they recognised that the different strategies they were taking simply weren't working to crack to through, unfortunately.
0: So people can find out more about um, your stance by like going to your website. And... Yeah,
1: jonathansri.com, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-R-I.com. There's some good write-ups about strategy and some links to other resources there.
0: Good. And any follow-up actions or debrief from that or...?
1: I think we will. We're we're now waiting to see how the Council responds to our most recent request for lower speed limits and bike lanes. And depending on how the Council responds, we might continue further activism. Really a lot of it is about the push for the 2020 Council election now, and ensuring that road safety and pedestrian safety and bike safety end up being the kind of priority issues. For the November 2018 state elections, Victorian Socialists and Left winners are coming together to get a Socialist elected to the Upper House for the Northern Metropolitan Region. Leading the ticket is long-time Yarra Councillor Stephen Jolly, followed by Moreland Councillor Sue Bolden from the Socialist Alliance and Colleen Bolger from The Socialist Attorney. Victorian Socialists will officially be launching our campaign on Saturday, the 12th of May from 7pm at the Grace Darling Hotel at 114 Smith Street in Collingwood. Come along to find out more about our campaign and how you get involved. It will be an opportunity to hear from the candidates and local community residents on the importance of getting a socialist into Parliament and presenting a political alternative from the major capitalist parties.
0: A 3CR supporter. And thank you to Jonathan Shree for that interview that I did yesterday with him about uh, actions up there and uh, brisbane to do with the, the vulture street die-in and it's a lot more there than you probably thought it's like a their uh, space for cycling brisbane and the like have been working really hard to get action on that particular area and brisbane city council aren't listening so what what can you do or what can local residents do when they have been given you know nothing back in uh, for all their efforts to, you know, advocate for people in the area. And I must read this bit from um, Space for Cycling. Those who insist on impeccable behaviour from anyone on a bicycle and that that right to exist in public space without the threat of violence must somehow be earned are not clearly going to be won over by this protest action. More reasonable people may stop to think about what that would uh, make their neighbours and friends and colleagues sufficiently frustrated and angry enough to lie in the street in an effort to have their voices heard. Some people will still disagree with the format of the protest, and we respect that opinion. Our message is to City Council and the State Government, who have failed to provide a safe environment for the citizens they have been elected to represent – That really does nail it. Now, I've got a little bit of news and events. If you thought uh, uh, Cyclecross was, uh, you know, not quite there yet, well... It's lots on. There's stuff happening out at Caribbean Gardens. I'm just trying to bring some events up, but there's so much on at the moment, it's a bit of a blur. So if you go to the Yarrabug page, Yarra it's Users user group radio on 3CR, on Facebook, I've got an absolute heap of events uh, there. And there's also a bunch of stuff coming up for uh, Good Beer Week, which is kind of like Christmas for a whole bunch of beer heads in Melbourne because we're uh, being on the cusp of that. Also, I'm just having a look, there's the Donna Gravel series, there is uh, The Moment, which is a film about uh, single track and a whole bunch of fun stuff that's happening tomorrow night down at South Bank, uh, or should say no, it's Wednesday night, Trails and Isles for Good Beer Week. Also, there's going to be a bit of a debrief about the, after the IPWR, which we've had on the show a couple of times, and that's going to be down at Curve Cycling in Abbotsford. So if you want to find out more about that, go to yarrabug.org uh, forward slash events and should have those on the calendar. If not, go to the Facebook page. And also, keep an eye on the Twitter profile, uh, Yarrabug on Twitter so there's heaps of stuff coming up there. Now, I should put into the podcast all the additional links that uh, Jonathan mentioned in that interview, but it is interesting to reflect that these are all the same sort of things that we encounter when we're advocating for better streets and it's this intransigence if it's if there's no money in it, if there's no political will in it, but morally they should be doing the right thing to make streets safe. These are the interesting things that are being teased out in governments today. I find that there is an overweening sort of thing on, you know, we've done consultation and therefore we have found that uh, we don't have to either, you know, put in infrastructure or we don't have to do something here when uh, good public policy dictates actually you should. Getting on for local infrastructure, getting to a Melbourne focus, uh, Faith, I believe, mentioned last week about Rushall. Uh, reserve. We almost got that quashed, uh, that long, long process, almost got um, abandoned two weeks ago and there's been a turnaround in that. The I've got uh, the minutes and the audio from that meeting two weeks ago from the 24th. Uh, we should be putting that up soon and it looks like quite a few of the things we mentioned that uh, wanted to happen to like, either start working with other authorities and other councils. Looks like that may be starting to happen. So put that information up soon, either on the website, Facebook, and Twitter, on all those usual channels. Thank you for listening today. Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio. We're kept on air by, well, people like you. We don't take, uh, you know, government money here at 3CR that I'm aware of. And that Radiothon is coming soon for the 4th to the 17th of June. So if you want to subscribe or donate, and also make sure that your pledge goes to Yarobolska Users Group Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au and look for the donate or subscribe option. Also, keep in mind that coming up in a month's time, Radiothon, and if you're going to save a little bit of money up, make sure that you put it towards 3CR. Our podcast for today should be up um, a little bit later. You usually try and get it up by afternoon or Tuesday. And there's a little bit of a backlog there, so I'm going to have a bit of a look and make sure some of the other podcasts go up from previous shows. Okay, thank you for today. Up next is Joel break, and next week back in the studio should have